Howdy, Rob Lee here, and we're going to get back to the truth in this art, but I want to do a little exercise with you. As you know, the truth in this art is an audio experience, so I'm going to ask you to do something a little different this time and visualize with me. I'm thrilled to reintroduce you to Forged Eatery, a true gem that captures the essence of farm-to-table dining in Baltimore. At Foraged Eatery, they have mastered the art of sourcing local and seasonal ingredients, resulting in a menu that will leave you in awe. Their commitment to quality and to flavor is simply unmatched. Picture yourself, see it's the visual, picture yourself uh, savoring their mushroom stew, a comforting and aromatic dish that transports you to a world of culinary bliss. The depths of flavor and the carefully selected ingredients will tantalize your taste buds. You can swap out and insert the focaccia, which is heavenly, or the irresistible cornmeal fried happy oysters. Each bite is a celebration of culinary mastery. Forged Eatery goes beyond being simply a restaurant. It's an immersive experience where the menu evolves with the seasons. Each visit promises a new and exciting experience for your taste buds, making every moment unforgettable. So, fellow food fans, fellow food lovers, it's time to discover the magic of Forged Eatery. Let their innovative approach to dining and their passion for locally sourced ingredients transport you to a world of culinary excellence. Don't miss out on an extraordinary dining experience. Plan your visit to Forge Eatery today and let your taste buds revel in the true flavors of the season. It's time to indulge in a gastronomic adventure that will leave you craving for more. For more information, visit forgedeatery.com. Art. I am your host, Rob Lee, and today I am delighted to welcome the directors and producer behind Carpet Cowboys, which is a documentary film that embeds viewers into the world of the carpet capital of the world, Dalton, Georgia. It's debuting at the inaugural edition of Baltimore's New Next Film Festival. Please welcome Emily McKenzie, Noah Collier, and Riel Rock Dichter. So, so thank you all for, for coming on to the podcast. You see how I went professional? I sound like I just activated right there. Uh, I've done this before. Um, <laughs> so uh, to kick things off, um, I want to again welcome you to the Truth in This Art podcast. And um, I'd like to start by asking each of you about your sort of connection to the project. What was the, the idea going into uh, Carpet Cowboys and maybe any unique stories that kind of led up to it? Um, just more of an introductory sort of um, entree into this discussion. Okay, I'll do I'll do I'll do the origin story. Please. Um, so Noah and I have worked together for many years now. We've done a lot of documentary work together where we travel and end up staying in hotels. And so over the years, you end up in these small places where everything shuts down at night and there's nothing to do but sit in the hotel lobby and chew the fact, get to know each other, chat about whatever comes to mind. And so <clears throat> over the course of these trips, at some point we began speculating about hotel decor specifically hotel carpets and kind of just getting more and more silly and ridiculous with each other saying, you know, what kind of person invents these? What kind of place do these come from? How are these possibly designed? Like what kind of an interesting brain would generate these types of patterns and designs? And then 
sometimes sort of making up characters and saying, well, I bet he's like this, I bet he's like that. Oh, ha ha. And it was just a lovely, amusing way to pass the time. And then I moved to New Orleans and we stopped doing as much travel together. And Noah called me not long after I had left and said, Emily, I found it. There is one town in the entire United States that makes all of the carpets for North America and exports like half of the world's carpets. This is the place where the hotel carpets come from. We have to go. And that's what brought us to Dalton in the first place. Wow. That's, <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> I mean, I mean, in, in, in please, if there are any other like details before we move into the next one, but I definitely want to comment on it. That is the the type of story that has sold a ticket it's, it's brutal rob lee and it's like oh that's that's unique that's odd that's interesting <laughs> tell me more it's like um having factoids to say to make myself seem more interesting mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so were, were there any sort of like unexpected moments um during the time of like, okay, we're going to definitely work on this. Um, this is the direction we're going to go, you know, something around around that sort of area. Was there, was there anything that really kind of like stuck out from maybe previous productions, previous experiences that were like, this is going to be very different? Yeah, I think like in staring at the carpet designs for years leading up to this project, I had a feeling that it was going to be a strange situation. Um, I think I had a vision of a kind of like, walking into more of an opium den uh, of designers, you know? I, I think I thought it was gonna be like, like just like how psychedelic these designs were really led me in a different direction. And what I didn't anticipate was cowboys. Um, but, and so I think that was surprising. I think like when we eventually got to Dalton and the originators of these carpets were like a variety of men wearing chaps and cowboy hats, like that was surprising to me, <laughs> in fact. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, from the start, I think there were a lot of turns in this. Uh, and then without giving too much away, like I think the film took us in a lot of directions that I like had no anticipation of. Um, yeah, I don't, you know, I think to kind of what Noah said, I mean, the whole journey has been very surprising. And I was, so I came on a little later, and maybe this is a question you're going to ask anyways, but um you know, I was introduced to Noah and Emily through a mutual friend named Alan Resnick, who is um, actually from Baltimore or spent a lot of time in Baltimore in the kind of alt comedy music art scene. And, um, you know, he's a kind of narrative, you know, he's a comedian, he, you know, writes a lot of short films and, 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 you know, kind of plays with, I don't know, like uncomfortable comedy. I, I would say he's probably a better way of describing it. Uh, but he he's the one who reached out to me and said uh, he had a friend who um, has been shooting this film and he sent me kind of a little sample. And I think the biggest surprise for me is that, you know, when I watched it, I was like, oh, this is fun casting. You know, uh, this is good. Good. Who wrote this? this is good. Good writing. Like, this is hilarious. This character is really rich. And then, you know, I responded, I'm like, yeah, who's the team? Like, who's the, who's the writer? Who's this actor? Where do they shoot this? You know? And he's like, no, this is a documentary. Like, he's, this, is, this is real. This is a real person. And then I, I think instantly I was like, okay, I'm in. So I think that was the biggest first surprise for me. That's, that's great. I, I, I mean, I, I was almost going to finish what you were saying. That's like, yeah, man, that's great. So, 
for, and this and this is for for all of you um with the 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 film set to, to premiere with um you know uh, carpet cowboy set to premiere uh could you provide sort of like a, a sneak peek into the exploration around dalton um it's the carpet capital of the world and how like the the film delves into certain themes i see american identity creativity economic evolution um unweave that tangled um uh, group of themes there please very nice, very nice. We love a pun. We love a pun here. I try. <laughs> uh, I would say the film weaves together a bunch of interesting uh, personalities, people in Dalton who have different access points into the carpet industry, which is the huge industry in that town and that sort of section of North Georgia. Um, we deal with wholesalers, stress testers, who job, whose job is to light carpets on fire, rip them apart, um, designers, kind of a bunch of different people along the sort of food chain of making of a carpet. And it ends up following one individual person and kind of his pursuit of his great American dream vis-a-vis -vis being a designer and where that ultimately takes him. And I don't know how much we should give away, but it takes him to very unexpected places. I like that. <laughs> You know, as I, as I think about it and like, I, I wish there was a time machine. I wish there was some type of portal. It's like, look, I need to be involved because, uh, you know, at a point there was a, a project that I worked on here where, and, and this kind of aligns with this sort of next sub question, if you will, um, where I was able to kind of hang out with a knife maker and go through the whole <laughs> process of making a knife. And again, going with this whole idea of having things interesting to say in parties and at coffee shops, um, I learned a lot about beveling knives, sharpening knives and all of that. So, you know, during the process of, you know, this this film, was there anything like really like, OK, this is an interesting detail about carpets or about this industry that you could share in, in the context of this podcast? Because we see them everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's like in a broader sense every step of the way, every person's job, it was like, of course, this is somebody's job. But my goodness, I never would have thought of that. Like, of course, there's this three story elaborate machine that is a trough of melted plastic that dribbles it down to create yarn that's then sewn into carpets. Just these, these things you would never think of. Like, of course, it's somebody's job to pick up dog poop from the veterinarian's office to smear on a carpet. That has to happen but you never would think about it. And so pulling all these little strands and kind of seeing what happens, it's like the specificities of the like minutia of people's jobs inside of the industry uh, to no end has delighted me. And I don't, I mean, I wanna mention the people that walk around, but I feel like, can we mention that? So there's, can I, I'm gonna do it. So there's a whole job, there's an entire job in the carpet industry called walking, it's just walkers. And their job is to walk on small carpet samples that are laid out in a big ring for hours every day. They have to walk over at a certain amount of passes and it takes them weeks. I think it's two to three weeks for eight hours a day just walking. And then they vacuum it and they're testing the way that the carpet springs back. They're testing the way that it mats down. They're testing how it wears out so then they can give it a certain rating. But literally it's the back of a, of a lab building. It's like a small warehouse space and it's two guys just walking in a circle. It's, it's just, yeah, I love it it's so like much. A a series of employees and then the wife of uh, the lab technician uses it as like a workout. You know, she has a little Fitbit on. <laughs> Just it pops up like carpet exercise is one of the workouts. Yeah. It could be a craze. You know, we don't know what's coming. The, the big thing I 
want to say I learned from the two of you, though, which I actually can't articulate right now, so maybe I didn't fully learn it, is just this idea of tufted. Uh-huh. Like the difference between like, you know, I talk, I kind of free flow, like, oh, we get some rugs and carpet. It's like the difference is tufted and that's what this town specializes in. Right. But like, right. I still yeah. can't articulate what that is, <laughs> even though I know there's a difference. If you go face down into a carpet and look very closely, it's little loops. Like it's a hoop. It's right. not sticky right. like this. It's hoops. And so the way it is, is that's what a tuft is. And then they put it through a steam machine and it squeezes it all together. But then right. it's the same. But, it's, a, it's chenille is the same thing. It's just tiny chenille. But they, but Dalton is the town that like perfected this or invented this or just cornered yeah. the market on it, so to speak. And perfected. the person who invented this 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 hooping technique uh, in Dalton had the last name Looper, which is incredible. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's funny because um, in doing you know close to seven hundred episodes of this podcast. I did interview relatively recently a person who does tuft carpets. So <laughs> that is one interview that I've done relatively recently. And he uh, it's all pop culture oriented. And he's like, it's a lot of shave. And he's like, I'm like a barber as well. But for carpets, I'm like, wow, this is a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they shave them. A lot of the like, you know, carpets that have texture. Those are people that are going in with razors. It's it's a very interesting process. Absolutely. <laughs> so talk talk about like sort of your distinct roles in, you know, in Carpet Cowboys and how like maybe they compare to like maybe the uh, project before a project that you've worked on since. Like I see, you know, you know, uh, Noah and Emily are both the directors and specialize in the cinematography side of things and Rael, you're the producer. Uh, so, so talk a bit about sort of like this um, production and this process compared to maybe previous ones or more recent ones. Yeah. I mean, I've primarily worked as a cinematographer on documentaries for a bunch of years. And so uh, I've never been able to like follow a project all the way through. Like, I, I think I'm often like involved at the level of the director, but for like a very small part of it, like during shooting. And so like, it was very new for me to follow the project all the way through. Uh, and Emily has experience directing from before this. And so it was super helpful for me to work with her. Uh, as she had like an idea of the way things work in that way. And Riel has like an enormous amount of experience. So I think for me, like uh, there's parts of this in which I felt like very experienced and parts of it in which I felt like very new and it was just kind of, it was like a learning process for me. Yeah, for me, I usually work as like a field director. And so you go and you're working on somebody else's thing. So there's a person to report back to and something that was so fun it's more like a, the shorts that I've directed that are my own, of course, but this is my first feature. And what was so fun for me with this and such like a creative challenge was it was just Noah and I deciding what we were doing. And it was just the two of us in the field for pretty much the entire thing. So we're both directing, Noah's shooting, I was running audio, and then, you know, coordinating our next person to film with and finding lunch. So just the two of us tag teaming, but it allowed this nimbleness and we could kind of get into any scenario and work really quickly and in bed with whomever. And it gave us a lot of access. And I think people also found us really unintimidating. It didn't feel like, whoa, it's a big production team. It's just the two of us were pretty gentle temperaments. And so they said, sure, come on in. And it really allowed guards to go down and comfort. Um, and it was very, fun to work intuitively like it was super rich to just kind of 
talk amongst ourselves and decide what we wanted to do. And for me, that was a departure from the kind of work I'm used to doing, which is much more structured. You know, this is for the format of a specific project. And with this, we got to just find our path and find our way and tell the story that we felt was most interesting. That's great. Yeah. And, you know, I think for us, like as a production company, like memory has often found itself in the position where we meet filmmakers who have maybe started on a project or started to develop an idea or started shooting, I mean, especially in documentary, and then getting to a certain place and needing kind of just extra help. Like, well, okay, we've got the idea, we've found the subjects, we've shot a little bit, or we've shot a lot, like, what do we do next? And so it's fairly um, common for us, but I think what was unique in this situation was yeah, working with a, a duo. I've never had the experience of working with a directing duo. Um, and, you know, a very, like Emily said, like a very nimble kind of team. Like we would kind of talk about doing shoots and then they'd just go do them. And like there was, wasn't a lot of <laughs> handholding required in that department. Uh, we were, and it was a very like creatively fulfilling like collaboration. And, you know, uh, at memory, I've often, co-produced with um uh like the, my co-founder sebastian pardo um and this was the first project that i was sort of producing with someone else um which you know with, with emily and emily was also a director so it was really kind of a nice trio i, I felt for the yeah. three of us to move through the production to editorial like finding the right uh editor and you know going through the long process which is editing a documentary and like finding you know taking all this footage all these rich ideas and people and turning them into like a you know 90 minute film that can be enjoyed in a theater um it's not a not an easy task um and it never gets easier <laughs> no matter how many times you do it um so uh so yeah, I don't know. I think for me it was a lot very familiar, um, but it was just yeah a little different of a setup, but one that like was really yeah kind of creatively fulfilling. So yeah, thank you. And um, I have a I have a you know a bit of a follow up question in terms of like memory. So yeah. in, in speaking a bit on like you know memory and its its mission, like how like where like what is the sort of like mission or sort of the like those three words that really describe what memory does i see innovation there i see you know really like just just films that kind of like move the needle in a different direction and expand how filmmaking and this and storytelling works but share a bit about memory with us yeah i mean we started the company almost 10 years ago uh, me and my um co-founder and you know initially produced um, everything together. And I think we just kind of gravitated towards the things that were interesting to us. And I think it was only after a few years of really looking at what we had engaged in that we really realized that there was a methodology, I guess, or like a mission statement to be had, which was really, and I think this film falls perfectly into that, which is, you know, working with filmmakers who are committed to doing the work that they want to do. Uh, they're not being hung up by, oh, I need millions of dollars before I can, you know, work one day on this thing. Like, just like, we need to do it. It's like, it was like, like, um, just like driving both Emily and Noah to like, go get this thing done, like go pursue it. 
Yeah. And, and in those situations, we act as like, we can, you know, we, we help, but we like are there to kind of elevate what they're already doing. So like just help um, move it through all the different stages and get it out, in the, get it out in the world. And, um, you know, from like a content or like the kinds of films, like outside of the filmmakers themselves, like all the films are artist driven. Um, and they're films that could only be made by the artists themselves. Like, I don't think anyone could have pulled off what they had done in terms of like the level of cinematography or the access they got, like just the, their demeanor and the way they move through the world, like resulted in this film. And, um, and then, yeah, in terms of like what the film is actually about, like, I, I mean, <clears throat> I think about this often, there's not a lot, you know, the, the, the landscape of comedic leaning documentaries in America is, you know, it's a desert. Like there's really not that many, there's not that many comps for this film that have been made in the last 10, 15 years, you know? Uh, so in a way it's like kind of a throwback, yeah. but it's actually using that to talk about like now. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, and for me personally, and I, I think this runs across most of our films is we never want to be didactic. Um, we never want to be, beating someone over the head with a message. Uh, we want people to take away from something we present um, with their own thoughts and ideas, and, and hopefully it challenges the way they see the world. And I think you can do that in comedy. You know, you can do that in drama and horror. You can do it in, in so many different genres. So we're not agnostic to, like, one genre. We um, like the pushing boundaries <clears throat> in different genres. So a comedic doc that actually has you question a bit of the way that America organizes itself or the way that it treats people or the way that, um, you know, um, manufacturing, you know, the consequences of manufacturing and capitalism in, in America without saying any of those things. Fantastic. Like yeah. all day, I'll watch that. And, and I think really that the testament for this film is that, you know, Emily and Noah, screen the film for um everyone that was in it or that is in it uh in dalton recently and and you know they see an accurate representation of themselves now maybe you play that film somewhere else and they see something different but pull something different out of it but you know you want to be able to you know i want the film to play everywhere it can and not be sp specific to a certain audience per se um that anyone can engage in it, even though they all, all the different people who engage in it might come away with different opinions or ideas. Thank you. Thank you. That's that's great. And it's, you know, I, I think with a lot of different storytelling and getting more and more into documentary or what have you, I look for sort of that commonality. And I think a lot of folks do when they're watching it, like, does this relate? Is this a city or these people that I relate to? And I find that the ones that stick with me are like really broad sort of stories and they kind of have very, they're, they're broad sort of storytelling with the nicheness that's there. And that's what I'm, I'm hearing. And it's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So that works. And as a, as a person that's interested in, you know, doing this in that way and having something that's I think very niche about this sort of community and broadening it, 
I think that relatability is there, you know, as we talked before we got started about the similarity to New Orleans or the similarity to maybe the people in the Philadelphia or what have you, just different cities, those stories are going to connect and relate. How do you niche it down? Um, so yeah, that's, that's great. Um, so I got, I got like two more real questions and I do have those rapid fire questions. We got to get the rapid fire questions then. Um, I want to, I want to hear a little bit about, um, because there's sort of a limit. I don't want to, you know, try to, you know, twist your arm into sharing all of the goodies about the movie. But um, the so so the 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 process of like production, like what was the length, you know, that was there? Because a lot of folks they have a sense of okay, they shot it, the movie's out now, we're done, <laughs> everything is ready to go. What was sort of the the length of filming it, you know, scheduling it? What what was sort of the length from, you know, first shoot, first day of shooting, conception to like now we started in december 2017. let us all honor our six years uh yeah it's been a very long road and i think we met in 2018 19? yeah it, yeah, uh, I think so. Was, I think we had like, maybe only done one or two shoots once you came on. Yeah. yeah, I think it was early 2018, like a little over a year later, maybe longer than that. Yeah, well, I'm just going to say, like, it in a way, we the last shoot, I think, maybe you were going to say this, but the last shoot was, like, in February of 2020. The last major shoot. Then Ma we went major back and shoot. Did. Yeah, oh, right, so that's right, the right, primary. Yeah, yeah. The last major shoot was, but it kind of dictated the story in a way. I think we had aspirations and potentially could have kept shooting for a lot longer. <laughs> uh, but a, a global pandemic sort of made us uh, refocus <laughs> what the film was uh, able to do, um, which, yes. you know, I think is better for it. But uh, it, uh, yeah, so th three years of shooting. Yeah, I think it also changed the story. I mean, I think like what was happening in yeah. real life really was affected by the pandemic. And uh, I think we, yeah, thought we were going to like entirely other countries and like those things just never happened. You know, I mean, this is a documentary. Right, right. Like, uh, our subjects just never went to those places and those things never happened. And so it was like, how do you craft a story with like what has happened? Uh, and we kind of realized that there was this kind of wild arc that had already occurred. And it's sort of, I think you have a tendency in documentary to like, kind of fear not having enough and overshoot. And I think people come away with like six, 700 hours of footage. And it's like, did we gain anything by this? And I think like in kind of being lean, uh, it was like easier to look into the minutia of things. I think we like really were able to like find these little moments that you might've overlooked if you had, you know, five, six years of footage and you needed to and felt the need to kind of like tell that big of a story. Mm -hmm. um, and so, in many ways, I think it like shaped what the film became. Like, I think uh, being able to like look at these small moments and like kind of like focus in was really helpful for us. I agree. I agree. I think that's like one of the things like the practice of making any art is having limitations sort of forces you to be more creative. And documentary is interesting because it's like it's real people with real narratives and stories. So you chase those through lines. But if it gets truncated sort of abruptly, then you have to go back in and kind of get more internal, both with your subjects, with your material, with yourself and your thinking. 
And that was an interesting process for us. Like, I remember at one point we were like, is this just going to be a short? And all of us kind of said no, or at least no one. I said no. And we went determined <laughs> to find these other ways of, of really fleshing it out because there was so much there, but it requires kind of going yeah, a little less narrative driven or having the narrative abstract itself a bit. So it's actually pretty simple, but then so much can hang inside of it. And I, and I, I think that's one of the the testaments around like being able to work in a sort of skinny, agile or, or nimble manner. Um, you know, recently I was able to because it's usually it's pretty much a one person show here. So, mm-hmm. you know, I know how to do most of the elements and all of the elements and what I'm doing here. And at one point, um, like like last month, I did a podcast on a boat. Like it was a small little tiny boat with like three people on it. And I was like, we're going to sink. This is, this is going to be old. <laughs> local podcasts are seen here holding mic, drowning or what have you. Like, you know, it, it, it enabled me to sort of push the boundaries and get that extra level of like confidence of, you know, air balloon next time. Let's make it happen. Let's just do it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you're just out here courting Naja. <laughs> I love the living metaphor. Like the, it's not a metaphor at all. Like you sink or you swim in this boat. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. I like it. I like it. Um, so let's see. Uh, I got I got one more real question that uh, is sort of the, I guess I guess the summary, the the buttoning up, if you will. Um, so so looking ahead to the premiere, um, uh, new next uh, film festival. What are sort of the you know, expectations are weird, but what, what are you? What are your thoughts going into it? What are the feelings going into it? Um, you know, potential conversations uh, that you think could come out of the 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 film uh, debuting um, and premiering there. What what are your thoughts around like what's coming? What's coming this this weekend? Uh, <laughs> I honestly immediately look at both of you because I'm like, real. What happened? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I, yeah. Maybe it's yeah. No, go ahead. No, I think I, I am about to pass it to you because I, I think for me, this is like a little bit of a like what happens now moment. Like I, I've never directed anything before. I've only been a cinematographer. So I think like I'm very excited, but it's all very unknown for me. Yeah. I mean, having done this a lot of times, I think what happens once you finish a film and you release it to the public, you know, through a festival or and otherwise is it the movie stops being yours in a way right? It becomes Mm. everyone else's. Everyone else gets to have a say, you know, you stop being able to say what it is or what you want it to be in the edit and in all the different creative aspects. It becomes everyone else's film to say things about. And, you know, those things can be really glowing and nice and kind and like encouraging and inspiring. And sometimes it can be just, you know, mean (laughs) and you just had to be ready ready for that uh i think for us you know this film has taken a long time and we which you know not to get into kind of industry talk but the distribution landscape in hollywood and hollywood itself is kind of going through a a bit of a i don't know a reckoning of sorts um and so i think and this has happened to not happened to us, but I think looking at the landscape of distribution, just feeling like taking things into our own hands is maybe better ultimately for the film than to continue to wait on finding someone who gets it or finding someone who can give us a fair deal. Um, and so memory as a company, 
you know, initially starting out as a production company has like moved into distributing several of our films. And I think with Carpet Cowboys, we saw the opportunity to world premiere at New Next, which is th their first kind of inaugural festival, right? Um, and, and wanting to support that, wanting to support the community in Baltimore, which, you know, from memory has been um, a community we've worked with a number of times on a number of films. And the festival, uh, you know, as for a company, it was the, the original Maryland Film Festival, uh, which I think inspired New Next. Um, and in the way that that festival worked was, yeah, kind of very formative for us as a company. So I think it means a lot to us to come back and bring this film to Baltimore. We have a lot of friends and artists and people that we really respect. And I think we're excited to share the film with them there and kind of be amongst other filmmakers and watch their films and like be part of a, a conversation over a few days and hopefully use that to kind of continue to propel the film outwards. So, you know, we're going to be premiering in New York the following week at Metrograph. We'll be uh, premiering in Los Angeles in mid-September at Braindead Studios and and locking in other cities from, from there on out. So, yeah, really, this is the beginning of a journey for the film to really get that feedback and engage with people and do the thing, which is, you know, to sit in a dark room with a lot of people and make them watch a thing you made is like why we all do this. So, yeah. yeah. I was thinking about, like, I think in production of this, like it started teeny in the sense that it was Noah and I stuck in a minivan for years, just talking to each other, having conversations about what we're filming, what's happening in our lives, who we are, what do we think about the United States? What does being an American mean? What's this guy's story? And it's this like larger conversation that's both about the nature of filmmaking, about the stories we were telling, and kind of about what feelings we were trying to express. And then over the years, you know, Riel became part of that conversation. Eliza, um, our co-producer, became part of the conversation. Nico, our editor, you know, it became a bigger conversation. But it's still small. It's still, you know, there's like 10 of us that are talking. And so what I'm excited is about is I think when it premieres, when an audience gets to sit and see it, it no longer belongs to me, but that conversation we've been having suddenly infuses into an audience. And I'm so excited to hear what people think. Like if they hate it, I'm excited. I'm so curious how they respond to what our brains have been ruminating on for years. I think that's a really exciting prospect that I didn't know uh, would come of this. Like, of course, it's kind of the same thing. Of course, that's what happens, but it's a, uh, it's a new realization for me. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this is gonna be amazing. This will be so interesting. Great, new next. Uh, <laughs> to, to, to do the, the pitch man branding thing. Um, no, that's, 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 that's wonderful. And this, is, um, this has truly been a treat to have this sort of like extra texture uh, leading into the film dropping um, and, and coming out. It's gonna be really, really cool. I am excited. I'm, I'm already bought a cowboy hat. It's gonna be great. Yes. <laughs> yes. You're gonna yes. six foot four, three hundred pound black cowboy just rolling up. I am thrilled. <laughs> okay, we'll be matching. Just so you know. Just so you know. <laughs> this is leftover from Barbie. It's fine. Uh, so, <laughs> so I want, I want to quickly um, tap into these these rapid fire questions. I just think it always adds a little little fun to the back end because uh, I'm a goofball, but also I really am invested in films and. Um, and films in that that area and in, in that station north like arts and entertainment district uh so yeah absolutely um so 
And these are just, you know, for everybody or what have you. Short answers, don't overthink them. Favorite film growing up? Doesn't have to still be that film, but just something that from your childhood you think of a movie. It could be documentary. It could be animated. It could be anything. That's that, but it's the um, film oriented that really sticks out. Ninja Turtles sticks out for me. Go. <laughs> Uh, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert was my, probably still is my favorite movie. <laughs> I mean, I was like, only really like subject to movies that came onto Channel 11. You know, it was like <laughs> the programming was like all I really had, the bunny ears. And I, uh, and so weirdly, I think my favorite film for a long time was the movie Overboard with Goldie Hawn. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I think it was more like an issue of like exposure, really. You know, I was like, it was like that or Ghostbusters, and I was like, well, this one is kind of stranger in a weird way. Yeah, I'm, I'm a Ghostbusters guy. I've watched that over and over and over again. I even had, I have a recording, I'm like dating myself, but I had like a Fisher Price recorder, and I recorded myself watching Ghostbusters and like saying the lines, and I'd be like, oh, this part's awesome, and then I would like say the words. <laughs> so I think that's probably my favorite of the kid was Ghostbusters. I like it. Um, it reminds me of uh, me and one of my buddies. We used to uh, uh, recite Jack Napier lines from uh, 89 Batman into each other. <laughs> <laughs> Something about uh, the devil in the pale moonlight. Uh, <laughs> this one is this one is a goofy question. You already know what the answer is. I'm quite sure, but I'm still going to ask it because I think it's funny. What when you think of uh, carpets in movies, what movie comes to mind? Well, that's a good one. It's been underrepresented. <laughs> Times are changing. Our original title for the film was The Sixth Wall. And the reason was you think about four walls, then maybe a ceiling. And the last thing you think of is the floor. It's so unimportant in our thinking. Nobody considers the ground. Um, <laughs> it was too esoteric a title. We, we dropped it, but uh, underrepresented. That's, that's good. I like that, Noah. I immediately think of casino movies. Like I recently rewatched Showgirls, and I don't think mm. you see the casino floor a lot, but just that you know flashy light environment and the the set design in that movie is crazy. And I won't call it a film; I'm calling it a movie. Um, but all Vegas movies, I think of carpets or yeah, carpets. Casino, I think of Vegas. Casino, yeah. casino probably yeah. has a lot of good carpets in it. I think of weirdly about like Home Alone or something because I think he like puts toys in the carpet or mm. like the micro machines <laughs> and he trips on them. I don't know. Yeah. You know, you really think about like when a film is living in the close up, what are we excluding? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think the answer is carpet. <laughs> I was I was hoping someone was gonna say the shining because that carpet is Oh god, yeah, that Damn. is the one. That's the Wait, one. We can failed. we have a redo? Let's do a redo. Uh, sure, just say the shining. shining. Of course it's the shining. I immediately think of Stanley Kubrick's masterpiece, <laughs> The Shining. Thank you. That's, that's a great answer. That's a great answer. Okay, I got I got I got two more. Um is is there a place it could be a theater it could be your home it could be a specific room is there a place you enjoy watching um you know a movie a documentary a movie film however you you know enjoy visual media is there a place that you enjoy um enjoy watching it the most yeah i um you know i think i really like enjoy the sight of people like in new york on the subway trying to watch a movie on their phone with like the wired headphones <laughs> And you know how high the audio has to be for them to even absorb what people are saying in that film. 
And I, you know, I, I think just the commitment uh, alone really like like shows displays a passion that, that I feel inspired by. Where do you like to watch them, Noah? Oh, there, yeah. I watch all all the films I consume. I watch on the subway. There's <laughs> <laughs> no little time in my life. <laughs> so like over the shoulder on an airplane, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like they're watching it. I'm watching them watch it. You know. Really I'll give it normal answer. Uh, there's a beautiful theater in New Orleans called the Britannia, and the acoustics are excellent, and I really like it. There's also a beautiful theater in my hometown called the Lobero, uh, and the acoustics are really nice. Wait, I take it back. I said the wrong theater. There's a theater in my hometown called the Arlington that has incredible acoustics. The Lobero is like second place, but the Arlington Theater is crazy, and I love it for movies. I um I enjoy laying on my floor in my studio on the carpet <clears throat> and uh watching watching a film. Yeah. That's what, yeah. I, that's what I do. Good, good. Uh, this this is this is sort of the last one, and I have a ridiculous comment, but this is sort of the last one. Uh so if you're watching a film or what have you, um, I'm I'm very into the consumption habits of people. What do people eat? Like I recently discovered the combination, this is probably gonna sell low rent, the combination of peanut M&Ms and like really salty, like movie theater popcorn. What is your go-to when you're going to see like something in a theater? Like what is the go-to food or, or snack or drink that you've got to have for that experience to be kind of complete? Yeah, I um, at, at any moment in which I'm going to see a movie, I have like undoubtedly forgotten to eat dinner and I'm like on my way there and I'm sweating because I've like, I haven't eaten in like four or five hours and I'm like bottoming out, you know, like it's like a, like a insulin drop. And I, um, and so like, I find myself just like in the theater, like I've, I've gotten like a dry tortilla or something from like a corner store on my way there. And I'm just like trying to smuggle like this, like, like calories, just like calories into the theater. Uh, so it's like, there's no joy in it. I'm just trying to like make it. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Really just trying to stay conscious yeah i just gotta make it to the end you know i i'm a traditionalist i i love just popcorn uh <laughs> gotta get popcorn lots of butter but i was introduced to something very recently which is uh chicago mix yeah which okay. is like it's like cheesy popcorn mixed with caramel popcorn in one bag and it's Oh my God. Like it's, it's wild. It's absolutely wild. I don't like theater should sell it. I don't know. My friend gave it to me. I wasn't like at a theater, but I was like blown away at how much I ate and how fast I did it. <laughs> it's delicious. I really like a, I like a high low. So I like to smuggle in a really special bottle of chilled natural wine. And, <laughs> and I, <laughs> then I buy a box of junior mint. And that combo <laughs> just really works. Love it. Where's the low in that though? Junior mints are pretty classic. I guess so. It's the classiest of the movie theater candy. <laughs> She's a classy gal. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. That's uh that's great. That's sort of the end of the rapid fire. And um I just, you know, want to be able to let you guys know about the new film that I'm working on called um, Rug Rebels. It's coming out soon. It's going to be great. <laughs> Rug Rebels? Yeah. It has nothing. It, I'm stupid. Uh, oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> 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 but it kept going. 
Yeah, we're too vulnerable right now. We can't hear about any competition. I know you see me shaking. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's in Savannah. Um, so that that's that's pretty much it for the um for the podcast. Um, I want to thank you all for coming on and spending some time with me. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. And um, I want to invite and encourage you to share like anything in these final moments, social media, website, um, and, you know, sort of those final thoughts as we wrap up here. The the floor is yours. Uh, I have a website, noahcollier.online. Uh, you can find me on there. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, please watch our movie. Uh, if this is going out before the Baltimore premiere, so that is August 20th at the Charles Theater on uh, 2.30 p.m. Please come join us. I will be in a cowboy hat. And if anyone is in New York City, we'll be at Metrograph the following weekend. And then you can stream it through Metrograph's online services for two weeks starting on August 25th, I think. Um, but please watch your movie and tell your friends about it so that we can find more places to take it. Beautifully said. Wait, but Ria, what websites are people supposed to go to? Because I don't really know. Oh, I mean, yeah, go to memory.is um, and uh, slash Carpet Cowboys. And uh, we update it regularly with all the screenings. And you can check out the trailer. And yeah, just follow along the journey of the film. And hopefully you can catch it in the theater. And if not, uh, you know, uh, a Blu-ray in the near future or a uh, you know, digital download of sorts. But, you know, we want to try and do as many theaters and live events as possible before we uh, do that. So, yeah, tell your friends. And there you have it, folks. I want to again thank Emily McKenzie, Noah Collier, and Real Rock Dictor, the team behind Carpet Cowboys. And I'm Rob Lee saying that there's art, culture, community, and go see Carpet Cowboys this weekend. Oh,